0: Hey everyone, I'm Tim. I'm the Senior Minister here. Uh, We're continuing tonight, as you've heard, in our I Am series. Um, It's the last, the seventh of our I Am statements uh, today. We're doing I Am the Vine. It's great to have Del Matthews uh, with us. Del's going to be speaking um, tonight on I Am the Vine. Uh, Del is a member of our 930 congregation and works at uh, Melbourne School of Theology uh, and uh, she's prepared a great sermon for us to think more about the last of these. Thank you. Okay, and um, as we've just heard, our passage today is, was given to the disciples. Now, if you remember the um, um, story or the, the passage we were looking at last week, Jesus was talking to the disciples. We're still in the same conversation, still in the same place, and they're not outside, they're not in a vineyard, they're in, so, indoors. But the disciples are very familiar with vineyards. They're all around them. They pass them all the time on the road. They knew what they looked like, just like us here. Those of us who live in Nillenbeek, we, we know what vineyards look like. We're driving past them all the time. We see the changing seasons. You know, we're pretty good on what a vineyard looks like. But most of us don't know how to take care of a vineyard. And most of us don't know the basics of <clears throat> viticulture at all. However, not to worry. It will just require a very basic understanding of gardening to get through tonight's passage and I think we'll be fine. Jesus uses four words in this passage. are four very familiar words in English. There's nothing strange about them. But Jesus has particular meanings to them. And these four words is what I want to unpack this afternoon or this evening. But before I do that... I thought it might be helpful just to give you a bit of background information so that we're all in about the same place as the disciples were when they heard Jesus say to them that he was the true vine. So the image of a vineyard as being something of a spiritual truth was not new to the disciples. In the Old Testament, there's several passages that refer to the nation of Israel as being a vineyard and God was the gardener. So the first one we see is um, in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 5 The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel and the people of Judah are the garden of his delight God is the, the gardener and Israel is the vineyard Israel was planted in really, of, of really sound stock in the best of conditions, really taken care of well but they turned against God and produced bad fruit so we see a little bit later in, in Isaiah. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Time and time again, Israel was warned of God's judgment. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. The disciples understood, just as Israel understood, that pruning was a good thing. And pruning is done out of love and of care for the vineyard. Vines are pruned twice a year. Actually, um, in spring, the tips are taken off, and you know a few bunches of grapes are thinned out as well. But that doesn't make a drastic difference to the to the vine. But then in autumn, that's the really drastic um, pruning. After the harvest, after you know which branches have borne fruit and which ones haven't, they're cut back. The good branches are just cut back, and the branches that didn't have any fruit attached to them are cut right off and burned. Pruning really helps the vines to thrive and to produce well. Okay, so now we know those basic facts that the disciples knew, let's have a look at those words. The first one is just vine. Jesus said he was the true vine. Jesus turns that image of vine right around and he claims to be the true vine. And God's still the gardener, but Jesus is the vineyard, not Israel. God was a gardener in control of Jesus' ministry. Over and over again in his ministry, we read that Jesus listened to God, was obedient to God's commands, even up to his death. Jesus pleased God, whereas Israel turned their backs on God and his commands. We learned last week that those who see Jesus have seen the Father, whereas Israel failed to show God to the nations. See, Jesus was the true vine that Israel failed to be. Jesus is the whole vine. He's not just the trunk, he's the whole plant. And we're the branches, so we're in Jesus. We're not just attached on something foreign attached on. We're part of the vine, we're in Christ. A little bit later in chapter 17 of John, we see this in a prayer that Jesus prays for us. He says, I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. So Jesus is in the Father, the Father is in Jesus, and their prayer is that we would be in them too. Branches are utterly dependent on the rest of the vine for life. We know that. Without water, without the nutrients flowing through, a branch just shrivels up and dies. We're so utterly dependent on Jesus for our very life, we have absolutely no possibility of producing fruit unless we're in Jesus and fully dependent on him. That brings me to the next word, pruning. Vines, of course, get pruned, as I said, every autumn, and it's a really drastic pruning. The first thing we notice here in this passage is that every branch is pruned. So the branches that are unproductive, that didn't produce fruit, they're cut right off. Um, and, but those that were productive are also cut back. Now, that word pruning, in English, it just has a fairly st- single meaning, just you know, trimming back plants. It's got to do with, with gardening. But the Greek, the original that Jesus used, actually had a double meaning. It could mean either pruning or it could mean cleansing, cleaning. So you could say trimmed clean in another way. And that's really good to think about because Jesus goes on to say that we're cleansed by his word. We're already made clean, he says. And so it's primarily through his words that we're pruned and we're cleaned. Sometimes I'm really aware of that. You know, sometimes I'm reading something in the Bible or I hear, hear a sermon and it really just is so relevant for my life at that time and really makes a difference and I can tell the difference in my life. But that's fairly rare, mostly it's just a gradual washing of the word and cleansing of, of the word in my life, gradually changing me. Kind of like having a long soak in a slow bath. You, know, just, you don't see the dirt coming off, but it is. There ought to be a change. You know, when you get out of the bath, there ought to be a, um, you ought to see some transformation, some cleanse, you know, clean person coming out. The word of God ought to transform us. Jesus says we're to remain in his word as, he, as we remain in him. And that leads to the next word. What exactly does Jesus mean by remaining? Well, Jesus uses the word remain or abide three times in, the cha- in this chapter. We're to remain in Jesus, we're to remain in his word, and we're, we're to remain in his love. Now, this is a mutual thing. If we remain in Jesus he will remain in us but remaining is not some sort of mystical experience it's not something passive you know I think of remain just you know kind of sitting back and doing nothing it's not in this passage at all it's very active so Jesus goes on to tell us in verse 10 that if we obey his commands we remain in his love now this is where it gets difficult for us obedience kind of sounds like a negative word you know it has connotations of domination We love it if everybody else is obedient, but we don't like to be told what to do ourselves. So I'm asking you now to put aside your prejudice against that word and let's think about obedience in a different way altogether. Let me illustrate. So I can read knitting patterns. Not everybody can read knitting patterns, but I like to read knitting patterns. Now sometimes I'll flip through them just looking at the pictures you know see what I might knit next but you can't actually say I'm knitting until I get a pair of knitting needles in my hands with some yarn and I start following that pattern until I'm obedient to the word of that pattern now if I'm not knitting then I'm not actually reading pattern books because I'm not interested in it and when I am actively obedient and actively knitting I want to read and I want to grow in my skills of my craft so it's only when I'm obedient to the words of that pattern that I end up producing some fruit, something like, you know, beautiful jumper or scarf or something. So the Christian life's a bit like that. If we're active, living the life and wanting to hear the word of God, as we're if, if we're obedient, we will do it and we will remain in Jesus and in his word and we'll produce fruit. If we're not remaining in him, we just... If we just read it and don't... We're not remaining in him if we just read it and we don't live it out. It's about being obedient, living it as we go. Perhaps another illustration. uh, We had some great team of musicians tonight and I understand that they came together rather late but every single one of them can read music. Now, they don't just mechanically follow the notes like I did when I was a kid when mum told me I had to practice the piano. I'd never make, make it up here I'd never give a really good performance like these guys do because these guys put their heart and soul into it. They love music. It's not something they do out of you know begrudgingly or robotically. They really do it because they love music, and you can hear that coming through. So obedience to to the Word of Christ is not something we do you know just because we have to. We do it out of our love for Jesus, out of gratitude for what He's done for us, and that will show in our lives. Now, Jesus reminds us of the obvious, that unless as branches we remain in him, the vine, then we can't produce fruit. If we do remain in Jesus, and he in us, then we'll produce a lot of good fruit. Now, I didn't finish the prayer that I showed, uh, Jesus' prayer that I showed a little bit earlier, that prayer from John 17. It finishes this way. Put that up just the last bit says may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me so as we remain in him there is the possibility of the world knowing that the father has sent jesus see apart from jesus we can't do anything why is that well ultimately all ministry is god's ministry his work in our world not ours God's ministry is continued today through the Holy Spirit. And as we remain in Jesus, His Spirit remains in us and works through us. Now, it's easy to forget that. Now, when I'm asked to do something a little bit out of my comfort zone or something quite I'm not used to doing, I'm much more aware of my dependency on Jesus and my need for Him. But when I'm doing something that I'm used to doing every day and is fairly easy for me, then I tend to forget and I need need to be reminding myself we need to constantly remind ourselves of our need to remain in Jesus over the last couple of months I've been really saddened by the stories of two different people but their stories are almost identical both people chose to no longer remain in Jesus they walked away from their faith walked away from their family from their church the sad thing of course was that walking away from Jesus both of those people were leaders in their church so you can imagine how many people were upset with that it can happen to any of us we all need to be mindful of that and I believe Jesus was reminding us to remain in him because he knew the temptation that would be there the temptation to give it all up there's so much else happening it's kind of like a slow death by malnutrition Now those kinds of decisions don't happen instantly, they're not an instant death, it's a very slow process. Let me illustrate. Some years ago I lived in West Papua, just north of us. Now in the lowland areas of West Papua, the staple diet was sago. Now sago fills you up, you get a great big plate full of it, and they would eat a lot in one meal. It fills you up, you feel like you've really eaten, you don't want anything else to eat, but it has absolutely no nutritional value. So everybody who lives in the lowlands is malnourished. They all have big bellies and they all have skinny arms. But it seems really normal. Everybody eats sago, everybody has big bellies, everybody has skinny arms. It's normal, right? They don't know what they're missing out on. And sometimes we can fill our bellies in a sense with everything else except the word of God. You know, there's books, there's um, technology that gives me a lot of stuff to read. There's all sorts of things coming at me, great to read, but not the real stuff that helps me to grow and helps me to produce fruit, the Word of God. A good way to start, I was thinking this afternoon, would be to start reading those 150 psalms if you haven't got into a habit of reading a little bit every day. Get yourself one of those reminders. It's when we remain in Jesus and remain in His word that we can produce fruit. But exactly what is Jesus meaning by fruit? And that's the last word. Well, perhaps a couple of things come to mind. You might think of the fruit of the spirit. Um, we're reminded of that in, in Galatians: you know love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, that sort of thing. Good Christian character. Sounds like a good place to start but I don't think it's the whole picture so in verse 16 of chapter 15 we're told that we have been chosen to go and bear fruit and that also reminds us of when Jesus said to his disciples that they were to go and make disciples so fruit is also new believers now I've got to be a bit careful the way I talk about grapes but in each little grape is the same DNA that you find in the whole vine And fruit, I think, in our lives as Christians is our entire life and and our entire ministry as a believer, as it's lived out through the Spirit. It includes a Christ-like character. It includes also bringing more people to himself. Actually, I don't think the two are unrelated. Jesus tells us that people will know us, or come to know him, sorry, through our love. In a recent survey that was taken of Australians found that the number one thing that attracted people to religion and spirituality was seeing people who live out a genuine faith. You want to know the number one thing that repels them? It was seeing or hearing from public figures and celebrities who claim to be examples of that faith. So I said this morning and I'll say it again and I think you know Bear Grylls has less of a chance of bringing people to faith than you and I do it's people are going to be looking at our lives and how we live out our faith it's as we remain in Jesus and live out a genuine faith obedient to his commands that we have any chance of attracting others to Christ not to ourselves like a celebrity might but to Jesus prayer is important too jesus says if we remain in him and his words remain in us we can ask anything and it will be given to us he says it twice in this passage actually so if we're remaining in jesus we're more likely to pray the kind of prayer that jesus would pray the kind that brings glory to the father and relates to bearing of fruit now i say we can't go past praying the words of scripture for ourselves and for others if we don't know what to pray we should really be praying for each other that we might remain in jesus and that we might bear fruit that is pleasing to god i'd like to finish now by doing just that praying for us and as we remain in christ let's pray jesus we thank you for the great um, amazing grace and privilege that we have to remain in you and to To know that you remain in us that is incredible when we think about it lord we thank you for your work on the cross that makes that possible we ask that you would be with us help us to remain in you to remain in your word and to remain in your love help us to be obedient day by day to your words as we live out a genuine faith and may you bring fruit um, through our lives in our lives and as we uh, live a life that might be attractive to others in Jesus name I pray